Hey guys, welcome to... Oh, I've forgotten what it's called. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Conversations About Running, a podcast from the team that bring you the Kenya experience. That's myself, Gavin Smith, and my colleagues, Hugo Vandenbroek, who is our head coach in Kenya, and Callum Jones, who works in our UK-based office and is also a coach and high-level runner himself. Hello to you both. Hey, Gavin. Hey, Gavin. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Cheers. I'm still sulking about my hamstring, but other than that, I'm uh, I'm alive and well. Are you uh, are you back into any sort of running at all? Well, yes, but it, it it's just not right. Like it's well, I say it's just not right. I just haven't. I, I'm confident in the in the diagnosis, but I just haven't managed to get rid of it yet, and I haven't had a yeah a, a, a follow up appointment. So like Mark, so so. Hugo, basically, I got a strain in my hamstring. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty minor. But then when it should have healed, it was just still, I was still just getting these really annoying symptoms. Um, mm. And then I've got, basically, I've got scar tissue over the sciatic nerve. So it's just like the scar tissue is just rubbing against the nerve. Right, right. Um, of course, it's irritation. Yeah. So it, it doesn't seem to actually do any damage. Like, there's not really any reason not to run, but it just feels, it just feels horrible. Uh, so yeah, I'm doing bits and pieces of running and trying to get rid of it, but yeah, not um, not with any great success at the moment, unfortunately. Mm. Have you have you been having um like virtual physio appointments with? Mark? Uh, I, not 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 on this occasion. I have done um, and, yeah. and they've been really good. Uh, but at the moment, it feels like we know what it is. So I just need to find a way of getting enough pressure because it's like it's a uh, it's scar tissue on like the back of my hamstring, so sort of. Do you know what I mean sure. by the back? Like the, I don't know what the correct anatomical term is, but like the, basically right on the bone. So I've got to get, right. I've got to get through the entire muscle to get to the bit where the scar tissue is, and then find a way to apply enough pressure to it to to break it down. And ah, for whatever reason, it's uh, yes, it's yeah. It's, so I, it's, I guess that's a hard stomach. task being a foam roller or anything like that, really. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to dig like like wooden spoons and stuff into it, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just need to find a good sharp, a good sharp elbow. I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, otherwise, otherwise, I'm okay. Yeah, I wasn't a, sure. uh, they are pretty good in massage here, in 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 making you suffer and yeah. giving very very deep massage. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I said I'm not sure it will help, but I know they're experts here in that. I mean, compared to the European massages, I feel like the Kenyan massages are cruel, very cruel. <laughs> it, it, yeah it, it's um yeah i don't know the best way to describe it yeah it, it's 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 yes yeah, just getting hard and and, and and break everything down it, i think it kind of yeah, I think yeah it can yeah. work i've had massage yeah i've had massage in kenya numerous times and yeah it's, it's different because they don't they don't even like, like you know here they tend to sort of warm you up a bit like ease you into it mm-hmm. whereas in kenya you just like you lie on that you lie on the bed and then within two or three seconds you've got like ridiculous pressure going through whatever bit you've asked them to work on after yeah. my first yeah. after my first massage in kenya that i had i literally had to take two rest days afterwards yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. i had a massage and i couldn't i could barely walk the next day <laughs> mad of two days yeah. there I'm pretty good but uh but... i mean as as it happens i think at the moment that's exactly what i need because i just need yeah. serious pressure through through this scar tissue it's not going to it's not going to go away unless something gets in there and breaks it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, generally, I think that's not that's not that's not right, is it? Hugo, yeah. you all well? 
yeah, yeah, I'm okay. No injuries on my side, but I guess <laughs> I'm training a bit less than you guys. I, I run three or four times a week and I do one workout maybe in about two weeks or something. So, um, sounds, yeah. Sounds, sounds, like, sounds like the perfect 80-20 method for someone who's maybe <laughs> running three or four times a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, I'm pretty much on on eighty twenty uh, right yeah. now. Or actually, it's more like every just, two weeks. Yeah, it's it's just actually going by feeling, uh, kind of. Yeah. You know, now that I'm just retired as a runner, and I just run according to what I like. And and sometimes I plan to do a workout, but I wake up and I didn't sleep very well at night because the kids woke up or something. And and then I cancel the workout. I just do an easy run and do another time. A workout is not that important for me. It just you know, to enjoy myself and stay fit. And, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, now and then I can still do decent stuff. I did, um, a few weeks ago, I did, um, let me see, uh, I think 15 times 400 in 76 seconds. So that was okay here in E10. And, yeah, um, I did um, a tempo in about in 37 minutes up and down the hill. So it was still okay. I mean, uh, not not as fast as I used to be, but um, yeah, still uh, some some kind of level is there. So that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, wow, thirty thirty seven yeah. minutes in those hills. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's it's tough to be honest because I always run the first five k downhill, and that so that goes in about seventeen minutes, and then I run the last five k uphill in about twenty minutes. Yeah, where, where do you do that? <laughs> um, I just kind of jog to Lorna's camp, approximately there. And go on. And then the I, uh, yeah, on the side of the road, like on the on the dirt road, uh, kind yeah. of downhill for about three or four k. Then I turn right. So anyway, um, I don't know if m- many runners know that place, but um, yeah, just uh, it's basically somewhere here in Eten where I run up and down. Um, yeah. Did you find time to watch the um, half marathon championships yesterday? Yeah, yeah, that was that was great, and um, uh, I, I loved watching it. It was 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 really interesting, and. Um, there were, there I were two very the, different races, race? weren't they? The men's and women's. Sorry. The, the two, the men's and women's races were very different races, weren't they? Right, right, and I, I love both of them actually. I mean, as, I, I think I love the women's race more with the fight until the end and some drama with falling people falling down and several times mm. that I almost thought like, hey, is is it wet there or is it the corners or is there something with the shoes? But no, the, 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 the second fall was just uh, Koskai just tripped the Ethiopian girl. That's what I thought, actually. Yeah, I, I couldn't yeah, see. If that was clear. a track race, 100% should have been disqualified. If, if that was like a heat, she would have yeah. been disqualified and the Ethiopian girl would have been involved. I know in a road race, there's nothing you can do. But no, the, the second fall, 100% was just her getting too close and clipping the other girl's heel. Yeah. The, yeah, the I first guess. fall was strange. I couldn't really work out what happened. She just seemed to fall out of nothing. Yeah. yeah she kind of twisted the ankle when she suddenly had to turn left. Mm. And of yeah, course, but... they were, from what I understood later from the commentators, it was like a downhill. So they were running downhill and then they had a sharp left turn. So maybe she just didn't place her foot very well and she kind of just flipped through her ankle. You know? and, uh... I guess that's easier to happen when you're tired. Yeah, of course, of course. Like it seems yeah. like it seems. Oh, how do you fall over when you're just running, but with, with no <laughs> obstruction? But yeah, when you're really fatigued, it doesn't take much just to knock you off balance. Yeah. Um, back back to the back to those two races. I, I know you're saying you got. I thought they were both great races. I find one of the problems with athletics is that even the people who are supposed to be promoting the sport really talk it down. And, like, the, like the commentators, you mean? Yeah, and yesterday I found and t- like Tim Hutchins, great commentator. Um, it, like he's great as in like his ability like his the way he presents a race and builds up the drama and i don't know just he's good at he's just very good at 
it's speaking and presenting and that. But I yeah. just felt that I felt that yesterday, basically, if there's a slow race, they complain that they complain that it's not slow. And if people just chase after times, they complain that it's oh, it's just chasing times and there's no yeah you don't get pure racing anymore and yeah. yesterday the men's race was just exactly that it was pure racing no one really knew whether to take it on there were a couple of surges then it eased back again and that brought different people back in there was just so much going on and so much drama yeah and they spent half the race just making out that it was really disappointing and just like oh yeah they're just jogging along this is just an easy jog in the this is a sunday morning jog for these guys yeah and, he... and, then, and then all of a sudden they get they turn into the home straight and they're like Oh, he's run 58 minutes, something. Yeah. This is a championship record. Oh, really? What? Wasn't such a jog after all then, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was never really jogging. Of course, the first 5K was relatively easy, but I mean, still, still, it wasn't that easy, of course. And uh, no. I agree with you that, uh, well, <clears throat> I wasn't so annoyed with the uh, commentators, but um, um, they have a role to play, of course, in, 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 in keeping our sport and uh, attractive. And making people understand it in, in, in the right way. Like you can always see a glass as half full or half empty. And if you kind of always see it as half empty, you know, um, yeah, it, it kind of turns people away from the sport, maybe. Yeah. yeah I, just, I just don't think it helps. If, it, if it's a tactical race, I don't think it helps to describe it in a negative way just because it's not world record pace. Yeah. You don't, you never hear that with the Tour de France, you know, you, you, you yeah, never right. hear, that, okay, the cyclists are taking it a bit easy today. No. You know, from the way I understand, that's that's general in cycling. That happens all the time. You know, they don't if they have a five-hour ride, uh, they don't run five. They don't race five hours as hard as they can. They 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 are in their zone one, zone two. You know, and then um, um, yeah, at the, at some points there's some acceleration, and then those are the yeah. important. I think I think the, I think it's especially when it's a championship race. People aren't. I mean, as it happens on a race like that, a lot of people are there just to try. Not just sorry. A lot of people are there thinking, "I'm going to try and run a PB. This is a good opportunity in a competitive field." But the people who are at the very front of the race aren't really thinking about the time. They're thinking, "What can I do here and now to maximize my chances of winning or of getting a medal or of finishing top five or top ten or whatever they're trying to do?" And that isn't always just to push as hard as you can from start to finish. Like, it, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to it than just putting your foot down from the start and 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 going flat out. And yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes they just don't don't give yeah. that. And uh, that's. I think that can just be presented in a way that's that's just as exciting, if not more exciting, than chapter guy following some lights around the track, and you know full well what's going to happen before it's even got to the finish. Yeah. Um, and I found that boring, and like, uh, quite frankly, yeah. Like, and and I've seen Seb Co come out and say like, oh yeah, this is a fantastic new innovation that makes it so exciting. And I was watching the last two laps of that 10k world record. There's no excitement because you can see that he's way ahead of the like. You can see he's way ahead of pace. Yeah, yeah. You, you... Like, to me, there was zero excitement on the last lap of that 10k. <laughs> For me, it was exciting to watch the whole race, the 10k, and and I've enjoyed that because I enjoy watching Chip the guy just. That talent, you know, that class. Uh, but I can understand that it's not uh, it's not exciting for everyone. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoy it. You know, uh, watching. No, the, yeah, the, for sure, for sure. I, I enjoy watching Chepter Guy run fantastically well. I'm not saying I don't enjoy watching him perform at that level, but I, to me, the lights don't add excitement. The lights reduce excitement. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I for me. I like it. I, I like that 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 innovation for sure. Were, were so, you guys uh, surprised that uh, Jeptica didn't win yesterday? Uh, 
yes and no, because I thought they were making out as if the guys he was up against were sort of rank amateurs compared to him. And considering <laughs> he's never considering he's never run a road race over 10K, uh, as far as I'm aware, certainly never run a half marathon before. Yeah, I thought they were making out it was just going to be an absolute walk in the park for him. And I, I didn't necessarily think that would be the case. Yeah. Especially given that someone like, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, um, Kip, was it uh, Kip Limo? Yeah. The guy who won? Sorry, I forgot yeah. his name. Yeah. So, so he, I guess he didn't have a whole lot of experience there either, but someone like um, Candy is, is run sub 59 within the last couple of weeks. So I think just to, to, to rule people like that out on the basis that chapter guys, in such good track form, I thought it was maybe a little bit, a little bit naive. I was kind of looking at it from a more mental point of view, and I felt like I, I couldn't, um, I would not have understood almost if if chapter guy would have the mental strength to, you know, break a, the world record in the five k and the ten k, and mm-hmm. then still have the energy and the determination to to again do that on the half marathon. I, I, it's I, a very fast turnaround, isn't it? Well, I, I didn't even look so much at the distances because I, I still feel like if if he now takes a break and then he starts building up and he prepares for a half marathon, he, he may break the world record. Maybe yes, maybe no. It's not going to be easy. But um, I just felt like he must be mentally exhausted at some point. You know, if you I mean, if you saw what he did just running by himself, the 5K and the 10K uh, world record and how strong he was, you you it, it costs you a lot of mental strength to do that and it, it would cost for everyone but but i mean at that level i yeah you know i i, I know these guys are almost superhuman but uh, they also um i know it costs them a lot of mental strength to do that and i know mm-hmm. at some point it's just finished and you own uh, yeah I, I, I i'm not surprised that he didn't win i was i would have been actually surprised if he if he again could do that you know or even if yeah. he would no, i think that's yeah, I think I think in yeah in hindsight I completely agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think I was a bit silly to think yeah this guy's this guy's going to win. <laughs> it's it's easy to say afterwards, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah talk, Shall we turn a, to our, our was, subject? Or? I was going to say quickly tell us about um, uh, your guy Simon uh, Hugo because he was well, he was meant to be yeah. there, right? Yeah, Simon, unfortunately, um, he, he couldn't start. So that was very sad, actually, because he um, he, uh, he he has been training very well uh, the whole year and um, ran a personal best on the half marathon in, in uh, February 63-29 or March. Mm. Yeah. Um, qualified for the first time in his life, qualified for the World Championships for the German team and uh, caught a little bit of an injury uh, four weeks ago. And um, yeah, had to do some cycling and stuff and, and get some treatment. But finally, he, he managed to recover and, and had a very good workout the week before the race. So I was like, okay, this is great. He's back in shape. He's healthy. Everything is okay. Then on Wednesday morning, he woke up and he just felt terrible, um, you know, like sick. So mm. um, he still uh, traveled to the airport. Uh, um, but in the end, he didn't fly. I mean, he traveled. He was supposed to stay in a hotel somewhere in, in Frankfurt and then fly the next morning. But he said he felt too sick to fly, so unfortunately, he couldn't uh, run. So that was very sad for him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was very, that was very sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah. it's your first major championship as well. 
Especially, exactly, exactly. So um, anyway, you will recover and, and build up for, for new races. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure there'll be more opportunities for him. If, if he's in that good a shape, it won't be long before he's back fit and fighting. Yeah, no, he should uh, he should be able to, to get some more uh, races and to be able to qualify for the German team in hopefully 2021 and then 2022, there are European Championships in Munich. Yeah. So uh, that can be a great goal for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you were saying, should we um, have a little chat about our, the subjects we wanted to talk about today? Yeah. Any, anyone who's listening particularly carefully early on would have heard me make a little joke about uh, about said subject. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the way the way I see what's happening today is that we're going to treat Hugo a little bit like a children's toy, like a wind up car or something, <laughs> and we're just going to we're going to we're going to wind Hugo up with a certain topic and then just let him go. <laughs> Um, just uh, this, yeah, this is something Hugo is particularly passionate about, I think, and uh, well, but also something he knows more about than, than certainly than I do. So we're going to let Hugo lead a lot of this. What we're going to talk about today is the, the well, we're going to talk about intensity of training. Um, I think with an overarching idea, or to explore an overarching idea of is there a correct intensity to run at, or and and or a correct percentage of time you should spend in each intensity. Uh, and that is led by the popular idea known as the 80-20 method. Um, AKA polarized training. Polarized training, yeah. So Hugo, correct me if I get this wrong. My understanding is that that, that basic idea says that you should spend 80% of your training time running easy, 20% of your training time running hard, and that's about all there is to it. Uh, roughly, yeah. Um, there is a book called the eighty twenty method uh, from Fitzgerald, and but the the scientist behind it, uh, the the main scientist. I mean, there's many scientists have done research into this area, but the main person, uh, I would say, is Stephen Seiler, an American Norwegian scientist, um, and and he actually said eighty twenty stands for number of sessions, so not so much percentage of time but um, okay. you would you should do four out of five sessions easy and then one out of five so that's 20 percent uh, hard he's he claims um that it's about uh, 90 to 10 if you uh, talk in percentage of mileage or training time oh really yeah so yeah okay because that's even more extreme than i realized if you if you do five sessions and four of them are easy and then one of them is hard, but that hard session is not hard from start to beginning, but it's, you know, um, there's some warm up, there's some cool down, there's some yeah, sure. your intervals, then you would come to about ninety percent easy and ten percent hard. That's what Siler. So, says. but the, the so 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 the joke the joke that I was making earlier then was which which to me kind of highlights how ridiculously simplistic that whole idea is is that if Hugo's only running three times a week, I mean, for Hugo, it's not so important because he's not trying to get in shape. But if, some, if, if there's a runner who only runs three or four times a week, but not, not just because they're a retired professional like Hugo, just because that's how much they train. Maybe they're a new athlete. The idea there would be that they only run hard once every two weeks. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, that just sounds stupid. Yeah. Like if you're trying to be, a, if you're, you know, if you're trying to get better at running, you're not going to, you're not going to, and you're, and you run, say, on a Tuesday, a Friday, and a Sunday, that would mean you only, you run hard on alternate Fridays and everything else is just jogging. 
Uh, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you've got what size? So say, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. So I was going to say I, I find it hard at this stage. I'm going to wait for you to tell me a bit more about it. But at this stage, I'm finding it hard to see how that. I mean, I can see why it becomes popular because, oh yeah, great, I can get better doing almost like just doing easy training. But I'm finding it hard to see how that's taken seriously because it just sounds so ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, and there's more to, the, to it than that. Of course, there's some other stuff that uh, the 80-20 method or the polarized training method uh, claims. Uh, we'll go into that. But um, yeah, it's still worth noting that, of course, most people don't read the scientific research of Stephen Seiler. They read a book like the 80-20 method. And in, in that book of Fitzgerald, he, he actually said, look, this is the idea of, of Seiler and other scientists, uh, but that 80-20 method, when you're a runner, you shouldn't take it, uh, you shouldn't base that 80-20 on your number of sessions, but you should base it on your mileage. So if you're running, let's say 80 kilometers a week, that's 50 miles a week, you do 20% of that or 16K, that's uh, 10 miles a week at a, at a harder effort, a higher intensity, and then the rest, a bit easy and then they also say ah, it's it's not exactly 80 20 but roughly in that ballpark let's say um so that that's that's one of the things that that percentage the other stuff uh, that is claimed by this method is that um there is uh, basically a sweet spot of training which is your zone four uh, when we talk about intensities you have um you can divide your intensities over five zones as you know with zone one being easy Zone two being slightly faster than easy. Zone three is kind of moderate running and, and for, for um, yeah, kind of the pace that you would do if you do like, let's say, a 50 minutes to 80 minutes tempo run. Uh, that's your zone three. Zone four uh, would be uh, your threshold. Um, yeah, a lot of scientists say that's faster than your threshold, but I feel like with, with many runners, that's around threshold. Uh, you would do sessions like or five times eight minutes with a few minutes recovery or five times six minutes or uh, a 30 minutes tempo run. That's your zone four. And then zone five is faster than that. So basically zone five is everything where you do normally shorter intervals uh, at a very high speed, your 10K race pace, 5K race pace, 3K race pace. So um, the 80-20 method or the polarized training claims that um, you, you should mostly train in your zone four because that's a sweet spot of training. You also should do a bit in zone five, but zone three should kind of be avoided because that's like, they call it a gray zone. And it's an area where they say you don't get a lot of benefit from your training, but it still makes you kind of tired. What I mean? So yeah, that's the idea of the polarized training. You train easy or you train hard, but you don't train in the middle zone. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. And that's kind of what's popularized. So those kind of two aspects of it, like 80% of your training should be easy and that should be really easy zone one a little bit in zone two but mostly in your zone one and then 20 percent of your training should be pretty hard and that's your zone four and five and you zone three is not really worth paying much attention to if anything okay and and, and okay. Do, do you do you agree with that is that something that you use in your like training plans when you coach your athletes hugo well, well, yeah. So um, that's something now we can we can talk about, you know. And of course, uh, there has been uh, quite a bit of research done in that field, and I think I've read every single uh, research paper about it. And 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 it. The interesting thing is, you know, when I first I was reading the conclusions, and I was like, I was surprised. Like, 
this is weird. It doesn't rhyme with what I know from how elite athletes train yeah. and, and how people get strong. Um, but then I read the research and it was 100% in line with, with how uh, athletes train and how elite athletes train. And, 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 and then I realized that the conclusion wasn't always in line with their own research. I'll give you an explanation. It, sorry, is that is that the conclusion written by the authors or sort of you mean like summaries when it's typed up in magazines and books? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So um, a, a bit of both, but mostly how uh, the authors like also Stephen Styler and, and others would, would come out and kind of present the theory. Yeah. Um, so basically the idea is this, you know, um, for, for, for a long time, people were trying to find out how we should train in order, you know, to, you know, what's the best training, basically, how should we train to get better? And uh, scientists were doing tests with mostly with, you know, students and amateur runners, just like, you know, the majority of tests are being done. And Stephen Seiler was the first one who came up with this idea. I think, I think he was the first one, at least he was the one who became famous with it, uh, who said, you know what, we should not look at amateur runners. If we want to know how we should train, we should look at elite athletes, because, for the last 100 years, elite athletes and their coaches have learned uh, from each other about the best way to train. So they know how to train. We should just look at the best people in the world when it comes to endurance sports, whether they are cyclists or runners or cross-country skiers or rowers, and, and look at how they train. And, and let's, let's take a look at that and then see if there are some similarities. Right. So it's that's a, what they did. Um... It's almost like yeah. the uh, he looked at it almost like the theory of evolution, I guess. So he, in the theory of evolution, only the strongest genes survive and are passed on. In this, he was kind of looking at elite athletes saying, well, only the best training methods produce the best athletes and, and all the other training methods kind of get left behind. So over the course of, of 100 years of elite athlete training, we're kind of we've filtered down to the best training methods. So why don't we look at that? Um, all that trial and error over the last hundred years has led to to these training methods that elite athletes use. That's one hundred percent correct. Yeah, yeah. very well explained, uh, Callum. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's what they did. So uh, they looked at cross country skiers. Um, Seiler is based in Norway, so they have a lot of elite cross country skiers who are, you know, Olympic uh, gold medalists and world champion record holders. Um, so they they started looking at them. Uh, started looking at runners and, and, and cyclists also. And what was interesting for them uh, was a certain pattern emerged. And I mean, if you come from the world of elite running like us, you, you, you're not surprised by this. But for them, being scientists, they were surprised because they, um, they, they clearly didn't expect what they saw. So what they saw was that people uh, generally in endurance sports make pretty high mileage. So, uh, you know, runners, uh, most runners running 160 to 200 kilometers per week, you know, uh, if you look at the best, uh, at least in the world, in anything from 5K and longer, uh, with cross-country skiers the same, but they make uh, about double as much as runners and, and just like cyclists. And of course, the majority of their training is relatively easy. And, and they were surprised by that. They were, I think they were expecting to see at least some examples of athletes who instead of maybe running um, 160k per week, uh, would run 60k per week only or 50k per week and maybe do a lot of high quality training, you know, like going hard every day and just making a bit less mileage. But that's not the case. As, as you guys know, as I know, um, there are differences between athletes, but they are more nuanced, let's say, they are on, 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 
How do you say on the detail, right? Yeah. So you can have uh, a 5K runner who runs only 120K per week and another one who runs generally 180K per week. But yeah, they, they tend to run on a weekly basis, you know, uh, more than 25 times their race distance. Um, so for them, that was surprising. And also the fact that they would do so much easy training. So uh, not like, you know, some of us, and that the same counts for me now, sometimes when I go out of the door, I, I, I tell uh, my wife, Hilda, oh, I'm going for an easy run. And then I run, and then after 3K, I feel like, oh, I, I'm feeling good. And I start running faster and faster. And in the end, it becomes like a, a moderate run. So most elites don't do that. They have this um, intensity discipline, you know, where you know, like, okay, I had a workout yesterday. Today I have to recover. I'm going for one hour, and I do that at a pace of, let's say, four minutes per K. That's about 6.30 per mile. That's easy for an elite athlete. So, and they wouldn't go much faster than that because they know they have to recover and they know that uh, if they push too hard, they, their body wouldn't recover. And also they have probably uh, planned another easy run in the afternoon and then they have another workout tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. So yeah. uh, they're disciplined when it comes to their easy running. On that point, I've, I heard a secret about Jakob Ingebrigtsen that on his easy runs, he nearly always walks up the hills. Right, right. Well, that's that's interesting. That's one of the examples that they used also, because in Norway, there are a lot of uh, hills. So people tend to, um, you know, do their easy runs in the hills. And um, for, yeah. for them to recover well and not to build up any lactate, some of them uh, uh, walked it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, apparently he does his easy runs relatively fast, about, about what you said, around 6 to 6.30 per mile. But um, on the flat, that's nice and easy for him. And then when he gets to the hills, he doesn't want any... Um, fatigue so yeah he's, he always stops his watch and walks up the hill and then carries on again <laughs> which I find kind of right, funny right because right? he's, he's a, a world-class athlete and you imagine you imagine seeing him out for a run and he stops his watch and walks up the hill and then carries on once he's up, up, up it yeah that's interesting I wonder <laughs> if he does it with all the small hills or only like very long hills that are maybe yeah no I'm not, I'm not sure up. I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> I know some of the Kenyans for their easy runs, they try to avoid uh, the too hilly routes because there are, of course, a lot of hills here also. And they just try to um, do their easy runs on a road that's relatively flat. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's th th those are some of the things that came out of that research. Um, but what was kind of disturbing to me was the conclusion when it comes to the different uh, inten high intensity zones where um kind of the story about polarized training or 8020 is that uh, i mean the name says it already polarized training you train easy or you train hard and that's not in line with how elites train uh, and it's not in line with what the research shows because what it shows is basically that uh to cut a long story short uh, elite athletes do roughly 80 percent uh in the easy zones and that 80% can be 70% or 85%, depending on the person. But let's say on average, uh, they are around 80% uh, relatively easy. And then the remaining 20% is divided over zone three, four, and five, with um, generally uh, a bit more attention to zone three and four than to zone five. But that's also because zone five is faster. So yeah, you run less miles at a higher speed, of course. So um, you know, you can say that the, the way I would describe it is that most elites do two to three hard, <clears throat> sorry, two to three hard sessions a week. And those hard sessions, they, they alternate between sessions in zone three, zone four, and zone five. 
and there is not one zone that is like used a lot more than the rest in general and um if you see so that that shows um yeah. just how you explained it there just shows quite a quite a big flaw in just the idea of presenting it as miles run because yes I, it hadn't occurred to me until you said it but it's kind of obvious that you're going to do less miles if you're doing i don't know if you're running at 1500 meter race pace you're not going to do 10 miles are you exactly but if all you talk about if all you talk about is the amount of miles run in each zone it's going to give quite a yeah just a, a flawed vision a flawed view of 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 the effort and the like the spread the spread of time spent in that zone is going to be completely different to the overall spread of intensity yeah, yeah so you mean like for example on a tuesday you do a 10 mile tempo run in your zone three so you that's a 10 mile yeah. and then on uh, maybe on a friday you may do three times a mile or uh, let's say 15 times 400 exactly. in your 5k pace um and 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 obviously that's much less than 10 mile and it doesn't mean that zone three is more important because you you do 10 miles and, and then zone five exactly. zone yeah so so that that yeah that friday session might actually be far harder and far more intense and, and need then need more recovery after it and but yeah it would be kind of under a method that only looks at time spent in each zone that would sort of go oh, that's obviously not very important yeah, on, on this point as well interestingly i, I think I can't remember if this research paper was by Siler or someone else, but they used um, they used a three zone model instead of a five zone model, and they looked at the training intensity of athletes um, using this three zone model, and the three zones were well, zone one was easy up to um, kind of moderate, um, and zone three was anything in the higher intensity zones from zone in zone three onwards in the five zone model. So. So basically, zone two in this three-zone model was a very small portion of of pace that an athlete would run at. So you've got zone one, which is all your easy running. Zone three, which is all of your um, all of your harder running, from tempo runs to harder moderate runs to um, fifteen hundred race pace, speed work. Um, and then they said, well, look, all of this athlete's training is in zone one or zone three, and there's hardly anything in zone two. Therefore, it's polarized. Well, yeah, of course it's polarized because you have only three zones and there's nothing in zone two, but zone two is only a scope of about 30 seconds per mile um, that, that you, you don't often run in. Um, yeah. So yeah. So it's, so, so it's just, it's just a case of how they've yeah. labeled, how they've labeled the zones rather than, okay. So let's, let's move on a little bit. Cause I, I see, I see what you're both saying. I'm just playing sort of devil's advocate here, pretending I'm oblivious to all this and I'm, I'm, I'm now sat here thinking, okay, what's the implications of this? Like, what, what, what's either good or bad about this? And, and then where do you stand on, on that? Because at the moment, I'm just yeah, hearing okay. saying, right, there's some research. Yeah. And the research does show that people either run easy or run yeah. hard. But it appears to be flawed. Yeah. So, yeah, um, can you tell me a bit right, more I'll, about I'll, I'll go first, and then I'm sure I'll miss points that Hugo can, uh, can ch- jump in on. Um, so, firstly, the, the, one of the key things with the 80-20 method is um that it does in my opinion highlight the importance of easy running and i think that's something that that all runners amateurs serious runners elite runners should pay attention to um so one thing one thing that surprised them obviously and this is what hugo was saying earlier is that the amount of easy running that elites do why is that why do they train at such an easy pace when obviously they're racing at a a very hard intensity um and that's something that this, this method highlights. And that's something that amateur runners can take away too. 
is that even if you are doing, say, only three or four runs per week and trying to become a better runner, a lot of that does need to be and should be easy running. And the reasons for that is we get a lot of benefits. Um, we get a lot of benefits from doing that easy running that you don't necessarily think about. You get a lot of changes at a cellular level, um, changes in your mitochondria, changes in um, uh, veins, capillaries, uh, things like that happen when, when you do easy running um that a lot of athletes don't think about they think right okay well i'm training for a 10k so i need to run at 10k race pace or i need to do hard sessions um but we can get a lot of benefit from from just doing easy running um of course you do also need those harder sessions but i think just one of the things one of the 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 good points that, that is highlighted by this research is that easy running is important um i agree with that and um, so there's there's a few things where i feel like the theory is is flawed and and where kind of people are shown the wrong direction and then the the main thing i feel like is where uh, people start to believe based on this theory maybe they of course they didn't read the research so they just hear about it but um the main thing where it's flawed is where people believe you should train either very easy or very hard and nothing in between mm. and that's not that's just not true because, I mean, the whole theory is based on how elites train. And, um, and, and if you look at the, how the elites divide their training, um, for elites, you can call zone three, zone four, and zone five, their quality sessions. So uh, the, the quality uh, speed, let's say, the high intensity. Uh, and then zone one and two is considered relatively easy. So that, that roughly 20%. And again, that's, that can be between 10 and 20%. 10 and 30% depending on the person. Uh, but, but that roughly 20% is divided pretty equally over zone three, zone four, and zone five. And, and, and uh, how it's divided exactly depends a bit on the part of the season, whether you know, you're far away from the race or, or your race is, in, is next month. But um, elites also pay a lot of attention to their zone three, which is considered a gray zone. Uh, by this theory, um, uh, gray zone meaning like you, you shouldn't pay attention to that because it doesn't really help you, and that's just not true. That's not what's happening in the real world of of, of athletics. You know, people do pay a lot of attention to their zone three. Um, for most elites, that's roughly marathon pace. Uh, for most amateur runners, it's uh, zone three would be a bit faster than marathon pace. But yeah, that's. Um, they still pay attention to that. So in a way, if you look at the distribution of the different zones, it's, it's really not polarized at all. It's, it's polarized on one side, on the easy side, right? There's a lot of mileage on the easy side, but on the, on, on the higher sides, on the zone three, four, and five, yeah, you often see like maybe 8% of training done in zone three and then 10%, uh, I'm saying this right, yeah, about, you know, 10% maybe in zone four and then another 2% in zone five or something like that. You know? And, that, and that, so, goes back to, that goes back to what you were saying earlier, Gavin, which is, well, of course you can do more training in your easy zone because it's not as hard. It's not as hard for your body. You don't need to recover yeah, from sure. it. And of course you can't do as much training in terms of mileage in zone five because, well, no one can do, no one can do 20 miles at 1500 meter race pace or 5,000 meter race mm. pace. So it's, to be, to be brutally honest, after having Hugo's been sending me research papers and writing about it and I've been reading about it as much as I possibly can. And I, I, I've almost come to my own conclusion that the 80, 20 method and polarized training just, it just doesn't really exist. I, I personally think what's kind of happened here is there is, 
a certain group of athletes in the kind of elite world where their training roughly matches they do 20% of their sessions hard 80% of their sessions easy and then these scientists have almost tried to force that to fit the training of, of everyone and I just don't think it does um, I, I think when you look at amateurs who are like we said who are training three four times a week and then even stepping that up to kind of the, the sub elite level athletes who are training kind of six or seven times a week it just doesn't really fit and it kind of only it fits more and more and more as you get to the elite level um, and I just think like yes there are things we can draw from it and yes there are things we can fit to it but it's just it's so rough and approximate and I think um, I, I think the way we kind of have to look at it is there are a few key training principles um, of, of the way you design a program and that is that when you train hard, you need to recover. And elite athletes can do can can manage more mileage while they're recovering. So, for example, mm-hmm. let's take um, let's take an elite. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. That's well, let, let's yeah. let's take an elite five k runner who runs a very hard session of um, eight times one k uh, at a hard pace. They they need two days, two or three days to recover from that session before doing another hard session. But they're an elite runner. They've built up their base. They've built up their aerobic um, foundation for many, many years. So during that recovery time, they can actually handle some some one-hour runs, some moderate running um, at, a, at an easy pace. As long as they keep it easy, they're still recovering, ready for their next session. But, but, um, but an amateur runner, a beginner runner, might need one or two complete rest days from that session. They might not have the, the aerobic base to, to handle that. And suddenly this 80-20 method kind of falls down a little bit. So I think instead of looking... Yeah, so, 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 the, so, the, pro- so the problem, you can tell me if there are other problems, the problem as I see it then is that if this method is promoted on a wide scale and there's popular books promoting it and, and, and all the rest of it, are we saying then that the issue is that non-elite athletes who follow this are going to not maximize their potential because they're going to do too much easy running and not enough hard running that that's what i that's what i'm taking from what think, you just said i is think that, roughly and correct? i think i think the uh, the other problem is well the other big problem is that uh, amateur athletes like hugo said will look at that and think right i need to train easy or i need to train hard with very little or nothing in between and that's just not true in, in fact i would go as right yeah so because because by just saying mm. 20 they're going to interpret that 20 as all being yeah. very similar. Whereas in reality, yeah. it's and, a lot and of... I would... so, so if, if, so, yeah. sorry, let me, I just want to, I want to talk this through to make sure yeah, that I'm on. understanding it, hopefully in, in so yeah. that the listeners are understanding it. So, so there'd be two things there. First of all, it would be if I was a, uh, uh, just a competitive club runner, but I'm running say, yeah, 30, yeah. 40 miles a week instead yeah. of a hundred, my, my 80, 20 might become 50, yes. 50. Yeah. Just for example, and secondly, within the fifty, there's a lot more variation than people are being correct. Led to correct, and, and actually, okay, I think that's two really important points points to make. Otherwise, yeah. that could and, be lost. And, and, and Hugo, tell the... tell me if you if you agree with me here um, about to make another mm-hmm. point. I I would go as far as to say for amateur runners and and people who are relatively new to running, maybe they've only just started in the in the last one or two years. I would actually say that zone two and zone three running is more important than it is for elite runners. They actually want to build their aerobic base and doing lots of moderate running and running sometimes in zone two and sometimes in zone three 
is is quite important and and should be an important part of their training. Do, do yes, you yeah, you're you're very right. Exactly. So, <clears throat> I uh, a few things I wanted to add to that is um, uh, basically you guys are right. Um, the way you explain it, also Callum, it's uh, it's, it's it's correct uh, for amateur runners. Uh, building an aerobic base and doing a, a bit of moderate running in their zone three, uh, and maybe a bit of zone two also is is important. I mean, the, the, and and these can count as workouts. And then maybe you know you have an easy run, and the next day you have a moderate run. The next day you have another easy run, or a few days later, and then you may just do um, one workout, real work. I mean, when I talk about workout now, I mean zone four, or zone five. Um, you may just do one in a week, uh, you know, and then the other sessions uh, might be easy to moderate. Uh, like you say, you, you do have to build that aerobic base because that aerobic base uh, helps you also to respond well to the higher intensity sessions. Mm -hmm. So um, if you start doing these very high intensity sessions without that aerobic base, you often see that uh, athletes don't uh, necessarily recover that well from it, you know. So the, the big problem, as I see it now, then, is is that this this idea is being is based on how elite athletes train, uh -huh. and it's being presented to non-elite athletes as a model, and it's just not, you, you, yeah, it's just that that's that's not you're looking at the end product and then saying copy the end product and you'll arrive at the end product. Excellent. But you're not looking like is that is that what the elite athletes were doing when they weren't elite athletes when they were new well, to the sport yeah. or when they were building? Look up at it from another way. If you look at an elite athlete, even if I look at myself, you know, when I started running and when I was 15, 16, 17, was I training 80% um, of my sessions easy? No, I was. I started with three sessions a week, and those were three workouts. You know, and then mm. I went to four sessions a week. It was a long run. Was yeah, that another interesting. Another interesting point drawn yeah. drawn from the from the same research actually is I think they looked at um, again correct me if I'm wrong Hugo they looked at the training of Henrik Ingebrigtsen and they said yeah. they looked at I think it was is it Tonneson who did this research yeah yeah Tonneson uh, no I'm not sure if that was Tonneson but go ahead okay well so, someone did the research uh, lo looking at um, the training of Hen Henrik Ingebrigtsen. Um, in the build-up through his junior years, right up to um, when he won the Olympic gold, uh, sorry, the uh, European gold medal for 1500 meters, and the number of his um, the number of his quality sessions didn't actually change almost at all from when he was a junior athlete to when he was um, uh, senior, winning um, European medals. But what did change was his overall mileage. So he he was still doing four hard workouts. Um, per week as a as a kid and uh, still doing four hard workouts as a senior but what did change was his overall mileage so that shows that he wasn't necessarily increasing the number of hard workouts he was doing but what was increasing was the amount of mileage he could handle the amount of around he, he yeah. yeah so 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 if you look at it as a percentage it, at the end of it not sorry not the end of his career at his current point in his career it would appear to be uh, at, at that kind of percentages correct. we're talking about, but yeah, but that is not what he was doing correct, to get yeah. to that yeah. level. I mean, that 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 just shows that yeah, okay. So there's a, there's a couple of things, couple of things then to say about the research in general. And, and my question then would be, what is the motivation behind the people who are pushing these ideas, which, again, according to us, are, are, are flawed? 
is it that they don't understand what they're doing or is it some sort of yeah mm-hmm. or is it that do they just have a lack of understanding and do they think that copying the best runners in the world is the way for so first of all they've misinterpreted their own research seemingly yeah. and second of all they're saying that therefore amateur runners should copy elite runners is that is that basically correct? yes and uh, they're they're you know, I, I mean, it's guessing why why people do that. Um, I've seen other research which I felt was flawed. Well, maybe the, I'll give you an explanation. Um, and maybe the research itself wasn't flawed, but there were some conclusions drawn uh, based on that research that were incorrect. For example, they they would take they would say, "Hey, let's test this now in reality." And they took uh, a big group of athletes who are roughly running between thirty five and forty minutes on a ten k, divided them into two groups. They said. One group, we call it the threshold group. Uh, they do threshold training, which they said is the middle zone that isn't very effective, but let's, let's give it a try. So they call it the threshold group. And the other group, they call it the polarized group. Yeah. By the end, uh, so they trained them for 10 weeks. After 10 weeks, the polarized group had made more improvement. So the conclusion is like, hey, polarized training works. It works better than threshold training. Now, if you look at detail, what did these runners do? Uh, if I tell you, you will laugh and you will understand why the polarized group, you know, um, make more improvement. So the polarized group, um, they did two hard workouts a week. Uh, every Tuesday and Friday, they did a hard workout. I think in total, they did six or seven sessions or so in a week. Every single week, they did two hard workouts. And there was a little bit of uh, moderate running. In, in, uh, if you look at their zones, it was about 70, 75% in zone one and two. And then the remaining, um, let's say, 25%, uh, was, I think it was about 13% in zone three. Yeah, and then the remaining 12% was divided over zone four and zone five, right? So this is very much in line with how elites train, and, and they did well on that. The other group did the same as the polarized group, but now they told them, apart from uh, doing these two hard workouts a week and a bit of moderate running, and for the rest, easy running, you should add two tempo runs. So they added, yeah, exactly. So they added two tempo runs. <laughs> so uh, in the end, their zone three had about, I don't know, 30% or something. And in total, zone three, four, and five had more than 50%. So these guys were simply overtraining themselves, you know, where the polarized group had a hard workout followed by an easy run the next day the 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 threshold group had the same hard workout and then had to do a tempo run the next day so of course you know that felt uh how you say that uh it's not in line with uh, yeah it's like it's like this the, the studies designed to deliberately make that not exactly work. and then also the other thing is that the polarized group uh so they start saying now okay look the polarized group did well so they made amazing progress but the polarized group actually did more training in zone three then they did in zone four and zone five combined. And then if you if you then come with a theory and you say, look, our theory actually says you shouldn't train in zone three. You should train only in zone four and zone five or in the easy zones. And then you look at and you say, look at this research has shown that the polarized group did better. But you forget, uh, you forget between brackets to say like, actually this group did a lot of in zone three. You know, that's kind of cheating, right? <laughs> it's almost yeah. so... Yeah, this all this all reminds me of um, when I was when I was working with Canova, and he used to talk a lot about how people used a lot of science, uh, scientists and or other people always used to want to come and study uh, Stephen Chirono when he was coaching yeah. 
Saeed Saeed Shaheen as he was competing as later in his career Um, and Canova always just used to say to them like it's pointless like you want to come and see what just because he's running a a steeplechase world record now you want to come and see what he's doing now but unless you're not interested in what he was doing 15 years ago right yeah that makes a lot of sense or 10 years ago or five years ago. And it, 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 it's kind of the same thing. It's like you, what you, people want to take a snapshot of, of, of what an elite athlete's doing right now. And, and then think, all oh, right, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to copy yeah. that. And yeah, it's a little bit too simplistic. Right, right, right. That, that is too simplistic. And I think one thing important is uh, what I should add also is that, uh, you know, it's, mo- it's mostly amateur runners, of course, who are listening to us. And most amateur runners are constrained, uh, not so much by energy, but by time. So they just know, okay, I can do four sessions a week. I have time for four sessions a week, right? And I think if you're a beginning athlete, uh, you know, like like Callum also said, don't try immediately to add too much high quality or very fast, high intensity running. Uh, but at some point, you definitely want to have those high intensity sessions. If you if you if you start with roughly twenty percent of your mileage in the higher intensity zones you're probably on the safe side. So in that way, it's it's not a bad way to start. But you shouldn't put yourself in that box. You shouldn't um, kind of limit yourself to this idea that you should be at 20%, uh, 20, 20% of your mileage should be at high quality because if you can do only four sessions a week, right, and you've been doing that for the last three or four years maybe, and you just don't have time to do more mileage, how can you make your training harder? Only by you know, increasing the speed or adding more high quality. You know what I mean? So um, you don't want to kind of just limit yourself to that where, where elite athletes can kind of limitless increase their mileage uh, up to a point that they really just can't handle it anymore. Um, for amateur runners, that's not the case. They are limited by their mileage because they just have limited time. They have their work, they have their family, and then maybe, you know, running 60K or 40 miles a week is the maximum they can do. Um yeah, the example that Callum used, uh, you know, where you said that, okay, you know, it could be that 50% uh, of your mileage at high uh, high intensity and 50% easy, uh, it could work well. You know, in reality, you don't really see that a lot because you can imagine also for an amateur runner, if you run only 40 miles a week, but then, you know, it means you don't have a very large aerobic base because you're running only 40 miles doing 20 miles hard out of those 40 miles that's 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 an obvious yeah i think i was i was thinking i was thinking i don't think i I wasn't dividing that by miles i was dividing that by sessions so say for example if you run four times a week you're still going to do two sessions that makes sense but 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 yeah but but so sorry so it's just a matter of definition so like 50 percent. i was saying that same say you do two easy runs a week and two sessions but yeah the session's yeah, the sessions might, they're still going to include easy for cool down and, and yeah. In reality, it's really hard to come to 50% of mileage, but I fully agree with you that if you do four sessions a week, most people can still handle two workouts plus two easy runs. And then maybe one of those easy runs is a long run. And uh, maybe at some point you even increase, include some moderate inside your long run. Um, or, you know, if you, feel like you're getting stuck at some point you're not really improving you can increase the length of your uh, workouts uh, but yeah that, that's that's basically it you know so yeah so so to, so to wrap up let, let's next time then Hugo because you just started to touch on something then of how people can uh, how people can increase 
various ways you can you can go about increasing your training whether whether it's by increasing your mileage or intensity within a session or the the volume within a hard session um and we can maybe we can touch on that next time so just to 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 summarize here again until 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 you until i spoke about this idea with you two it wasn't i didn't really know too much about it i hadn't really come across it um how much of a problem is this because because are we just talking about something that's just a peripheral idea and a few people might be getting the wrong end of the stick or is this a really widespread uh flawed idea that's within the running community that's holding back a lot of people for me that's a bit hard to say i i get the question uh pretty often where people ask me what do you think about 80 20 and and uh, you know uh, or polarized training and i am for me it's a little bit hard to say because i live here in kenya and and you know, I, I'm not at clubs and I think most coaches are a little bit smarter than this, but I do see online that there's a lot of attention for polarized training. And I know I know in the cycling world, it's pretty big. Um, in the running world, yeah, it, it's a bit hard for me to say. I don't know if you know that, Callum, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering whether we're, we're are we like, we're, we're, are we, are we helping people yeah. get away my, from something that's my, affecting a lot of people or are we spending all this time talking about something that no one's really what everyone's just sort of no looks at people do follow it i've seen i've heard loads and loads of people talking about right. it in a positive way my my personal takeaway message uh whether you want to listen to me or not is that uh don't don't const- yeah like hugo said don't constrain yourself to following an 80 20 method or all the concepts of polarized training i think there are there are better key principles of training to follow that can help you structure your plan and structure your training than the 80 20 method um I, th- I think finding out if only if only if only there was somewhere people could turn <laughs> if they were stuck and didn't know what training to do where could they go if only there was some sort of online service with coaches who could just help you no matter where you were in the world no matter what only, yeah. you, you got any at. thoughts on that well, maybe train smarter, run faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I think I think it's appropriate. Now we've got to like episode eight or something to give a quick shout out to uh, to Hugo and Callum's uh, coaching company, Tra- Train Smarter, train smarter race run. Faster. run Faster. Train Smarter, Run Faster. Right. Correct. Look that up on Instagram or yeah. online, so, and you will find uh, find more information from Hugo and yeah. Uh, Hugo I mean, I mean, on a serious Callum. point, that is something that a personal coach can help you with because you're not like, like we said, every every runner's a little bit different. Every runner needs to train in a slightly different way to get the most out of their training, and that's something that having a one to one coach will help you with. They'll help you find out what training is mm-hmm. best for you personally to do, and that's something you can't really find from just typing in something on yeah, Google. Yeah, I think. So I, I would I would say my summary then would be if you're serious about your running, don't sell yourself short with a book um, or an online theory that doesn't really. Well, yeah, mm. you're just selling yourself short. You, you can be far better and, and lead to greater and faster improvements if you take some take some proper advice, whether that be at your club or, or through an online coach, exactly. as, uh, as we just discussed. Um, OK, nice one. We've we've uh, we've ripped apart the 80 20 methods and i'm sure it'll never be now that now that now that such influential sources as ourselves have uh have, have taken it apart it will it will never be heard of well, again. I, 
Yeah. Well, the one thing I wanted to add is actually, um, you know, I, I am, of course, also in contact with a lot of coaches. And I feel like in the coaching world, it's uh, this polarized training or 80-20 method is, is really getting a lot of attention. So, and, and uh, mm. you know, and I realized that most coaches don't read all the research. Uh, so I started doing that. And then, then you actually get, you know, a really um, interesting view on this. And, and uh, of course, we, you know, we make a little bit of jokes about it in there. But there's still uh, definitely stuff that you can learn from it. Uh, you just shouldn't take it all, you know, like a Bible. Take it too literally. And, um, mm. um, yeah. So, um I think we've we've discussed it in the right way. I think I hope people understand now they should definitely not avoid the moderate zones, the zone three and zone four, and, and just train in the high, very, very high intensity zones. They should pay attention to everything and, and often variation is so, key. Yeah, so so what one one thing Callum and I have um often spoken about how there appears to be sort of differences between the way I train and, and the way he trains and how my coach doesn't really set me what we call moderate running. Um, and, and, and as you're in the early part of this conversation, I was wondering, it's like, do I train like this? Like, is this how I train? Cause, cause we don't do what we, well, we, we don't, we don't do moderate in the, in terms of we never do anything that gets termed as moderate. But then when you've actually been explaining it, Hugo, I run in zone three, I do a 10 mile tempo. Yeah, you zone three every single week. You do a lot of, you're making a very big mistake. <laughs> yeah well mile tempo, I mean, I, well, it's gonna help you yeah according to yeah well it, <laughs> so far it's doing all right for me for me and uh and other athletes but yeah i think i think i just i've misinterpreted what you are describing as moderate sometimes right yeah um, you, you do a lot of what we would, what we would call yeah, sub-threshold no, i would say Right. Okay. Yeah. I think it's almost like, how I'm seeing it now is that I run it. I run it that yes, yeah, sub threshold once every, pretty much once every week. It, it does change when we get closer to races. The threshold maybe it becomes a faster, shorter tempo. Or, um, but yeah, we, we we spend more time in in that zone three sub threshold. So mm. basically once a week, and then once a week we not necessarily alternate, but we spread out the zone four and five across the other session of the week so we spend even more time in that zone than i than than, yeah. than maybe other, other yeah. groups do well, that's interesting and you see differences also there among elite athletes but i think the takeaway message should be that you should just not believe this idea that you have to ignore that zone the research has been done in it uh like i said i've read all that research and there is no research that that actually confirms that even though sometimes the conclusion is that you should, but the, you know, if you see how all the elites train, they pay attention to their zone three or their sub threshold uh, by doing longer tempo runs throughout the year. Maybe not every single week, but um, yeah, every single month there is something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah, that's that's interesting. Let's uh, we can delve into that a little bit more next time as well. Like maybe speak a little bit more about how we're training ourselves and how it. Yeah. So it doesn't fit into, yeah, let's fit, do that. into yeah. that model. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Thanks. Nice one. All right. Thanks, guys. Great to, yeah, good great to catch up. Speak and, to you soon, guys. Thanks very much. That was another episode of Conversations About Running with the Kenya Experience team. If you want to learn more about us, best places to head are on to Instagram where we are the underscore Kenya underscore experience. 
And if you want to learn more from great coach like Hugo, as well as have the trip of a lifetime, then head over to www.traininkenya.com for all the details of our training camps for athletes of all levels in Iten, Kenya. Thank you very much. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon.